You noticed if you came in this morning that the Christmas decorations are still up. For some of you who've been a part of Grace for some time, that may not have surprised you, but for some of you who may be new or maybe a guest this morning, you might have went, oh, somebody forgot to do their job. Um, But the truth is, they're up for a reason. They're up intentionally because we are actually at the end of what are known as the 12 days of Christmas. Many of us know that song, but many of us don't know the tradition that in the church for years, Christmas is actually celebrated after Christmas starts, for 12 days afterwards. We kind of do it backwards in our society. We celebrate up till Christmas Eve, and then it's all over. But in the church, Christmas is celebrated for 12 days afterwards, and Today, we're nearing the end of that 12-day cycle. And as we near the end of the 12 days of Christmas, we're preparing for yet another revelation about this one born in Bethlehem. There is for us, and maybe you didn't know this as you came this morning, one more gift to be received in the giving of this one named Jesus. It's an unexpected surprise, one that we never would have expected, that we're only going to get hints of this morning. We're only going to get hints of until much later our journey takes us to a garden to a cross, and ultimately beyond to a tomb. This Sunday is known in the church as Epiphany Sunday. I hate to tell you, but it's much forgotten in most Protestant churches. But this is a holy day in the life of the church that marks the close of the celebration of Christmas. And it does so by reinforcing something very, very important, that what brings us to our knees in worship is not the birth of a miracle baby. What brings us to our knees in worship is the manifestation of our Creator, our God in human flesh through Jesus Christ. In other churches and other expressions of the faith in Western Christianity, that would be our Catholic and Anglican brothers and sisters, this epiphany will be acknowledged through remembering the Magi, the visit of the Magi to the Christ child. Through these wise men, Christ revealed himself to the Gentiles, to us. In Eastern expressions of the faith, this would be your Eastern or Russian Orthodox churches, They will be reminded of Jesus revealing himself as God's own son by recounting his baptism by John. But this morning, we're going to mark the observance of Epiphany in a different way. Returning to the Gospel of Mark, we're going to continue, as we've been doing for these last couple of weeks and months, to follow Jesus as he continues to reveal the good news of the kingdom of God. And as one of our elders, John Timmons, comes forward, we're going to immerse ourselves in two stories in Mark that are separate yet intertwined. They're separate yet intertwined by Mark to offer us further insight not only into who Jesus is, but also why he came and what he intends to do for us all. So I invite you to give your attention to to John Timmons as he comes to read to us from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I was a little shaky on my cue. Thanks, Chris. Good. (laughs) Good morning and happy new year, everybody. Our our reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, and you can find that in page 702 uh, in your pew Bibles. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, 
if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what, she, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. <laughs> but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. So Mark tells us that Jesus is back from being in Gentile territory. You remember when John was preaching last week, Jesus was on the one side of the lake in Gentile territory, but now he's on the other side of the lake, back in amongst the home crowd, we might say. And what's interesting is that as he gets there, a large crowd is already gathered around him as he comes to the shore. And Mark emphasizes that this large crowd not only is there when he gets to the shore, but it actually follows him and presses around him. And if you've ever been in a large crowd, but just a picture that as Jesus continues walking, this crowd that just is following, have you ever been followed before, but times that by 10 or 20, and those people pressing in on you? This picture of Jesus walking with these people, just getting as close to him as they possibly can, following him. And then in the midst of it, Mark narrows us in on a woman. A woman in this large crowd. A woman who is suffering. A woman who is suffering, in fact, in silence. Mark says this woman is suffering from continued bleeding. It's most likely a feminine issue, a menstrual problem. And, and it's not just the physical issue, though that would be enough. If you're familiar, if you remember when we were in Leviticus, according to the purity laws of the Torah, she is ritually unclean. All women, according to the law, were considered unclean during their time of the month. But what makes this situation agonizing, tragic for this woman, is that her cycle is endless. And if you remember from our time in Leviticus, because she is considered unclean, everything she touches also becomes unclean. I want you to, to really put yourself in, the, in her situation because I, it, it matters. The significance of this is because she's considered unclean and anything she touches, therefore, is considered unclean. This is a woman who can never attend worship as we are this morning. She can never participate in communal life the life of the community the way that we do. 
She's incapable because of her condition for bearing children. And if you remember back in these times, that was considered a sign of blessing, a sign of life, a sign of favor. There is no favor upon her. She cannot bear a child because of her condition. And more than this, because of her condition, she's subject to legal divorce. No man has to stay married to her because she can't bear a child. So she can be divorced without issue. But Mark pushes it further. The description of this woman in the midst of this huge crowd. This woman is not just suffering from her disease. Mark goes out of his way to tell us she's suffering from the attempted cures as well. Instead of getting better, Mark writes, she got worse. This is a woman who has tried to alleviate her suffering. Multiple doctors, multiple disappointments. And instead of, in fact, getting better, she's gotten worse. And some of us can relate to that. Some of us can relate to this woman today. Some of us know what that's like to be in a situation where we try to relieve our suffering and all our attempts at getting a cure, in fact, don't make us better. They make us worse. This woman, Mark tells us, has exhausted all of her resources. In other words, this woman, in essence, has lost everything. Her comfort, her money, her social position, her dignity, her sense of worth. This woman wasn't always this way. It's only been 12 years, only been 12 years. But she hasn't always been this way and she's lost everything. She is, in the eyes of the world that surrounds her, functionally useless. She's isolated. She's abandoned. She is ritually dead. In some respects, she's almost a mirror image of the, the demoniac that John preached about earlier in chapter 5. This man who walks around amongst the graveyards, isolated from the rest of the community. Except she's not walking around in graveyards. She's walking around in the midst of crowds, but no one acknowledges that she's there. She doesn't exist. She's ritually dead. From a worldly standpoint, if we were outside a church and I was sharing this story with you over coffee, you and I sitting down at Starbucks, Pete's, whatever, and I was sharing this story with you, telling you about this woman, 12 years suffering, multiple appointments, multiple doctors, things getting worse rather than better. From a worldly standpoint, a common sense standpoint, as we were talking, we would say, this poor woman is hopeless. We would say, this woman has little reason little justification to believe that her situation, her condition will ever change. In fact, we'd probably whisper to each other, truth is, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. She's never going to have this resolved. That would be our conversation outside of church. Many of us maybe have had these stories that we've shared to each other and we just shake our heads and we say, it's hopeless. And yet this woman, Mark tells us, clings to hope against hope. This woman sees a glimmer of possibility. And yet it's a glimmer of possibility, a hope against hope, a hope without any justification or logical basis. In other words, if this woman, I was telling you this story and told you about this glimmer of hope that this woman had, we would say she's just having wishful thinking. That's wishful thinking, but there's no way her situation is going to get any better. She's exhausted every resource. She's done everything she can. It's getting worse rather than better. There's no way. And yet this woman heard about Jesus. 
I love that, that Mark says that. She heard about Jesus. Please hang on to that for a second. I hope you have your Bibles open. I'm going to point a lot back to it a lot. She heard about Jesus. Get that. This woman had never heard from Jesus herself. She'd never seen Jesus in person. She'd never listened to him teach. She'd heard about Jesus. But she heard enough. She heard enough to take a great risk. A risk to reach out and touch Jesus. This woman is determined. Mark tells us she believes that if she just touches Jesus, she will be healed. However, don't also miss that by touching Jesus, this woman also believes she will defile him. She will make Jesus unclean. And that's why a crowd is ideal for her so that she can sneak up behind Jesus. Can you picture it? In that large crowd, you can barely make out people. They're so close together to Jesus. Can you picture it? Being able to peer inside. This woman desperately reaching out, her flicking her finger. That's all it takes, flicking her finger across the wrinkles of his robe. Her touch seemingly polluting Jesus. And then without any elaborate ritual, remember in Leviticus, there was all this ritual to go from being unclean to clean. Without any elaborate ritual, there are no magic words that are said. In fact, no action takes place whatsoever. And yet suddenly, completely, absolutely, she stops bleeding. This woman is cured. This woman is cured. And just like that, she attempts to sink back into the anonymity of the crowd, but not so fast. Jesus realizes the power has gone out of him. Again, picture this crowd that's huddled around Jesus. Picture this mob and Jesus looking around in the midst of this mob of people as he, and he says out loud to this mob, who touched me? I love this part. The disciples. Who touched me? Crowds of people pressing in upon him. Who touched me? And the disciples. Let's not forget where we've been these last couple of weeks. The disciples, despite experiencing Jesus speaking to a life-threatening tempest and turning it into a dead calm. These disciples, despite witnessing Jesus make pigs fly and set a tortured, demon-possessed man free, these disciples are clueless. They're no different from the rest of the crowd. In fact, most likely they're speaking for the crowd when they say out loud, are you kidding me? Do you see all the people crowding against you? And you ask, who touched me? Can't you just hear the sarcasm? (laughs) They still don't get it. And maybe we still don't get it either. Jesus isn't concerned that he's leaking. Oops, whoa. He isn't surprised that something happened. Hello. Think about it. Jesus already knows the answer to his question. Who touched me? Jesus already knows the answer to his question. This woman, despite her suffering, despite her past failures, despite her fear, despite her low opinion of herself, took a risk, a step of faith in touching Jesus. Let's not miss that. She took a step of faith, a risk in touching Jesus. And Jesus senses that a connection has been made and he wants more than just contact. So Jesus keeps looking around for this woman. It's not that he doesn't know. He's looking around for this woman because he's pushing this woman who's sinking back into the crowd. He's pushing this woman to step out with even greater faith, to take an even greater risk, to step beyond touch and run, 
to step beyond, take a pill, feel better, and move on approach. How many of us here today, how many of us have settled for the quick fix, the skin-deep encounter with Jesus? These pews, and I say it, but it bears repeating, were a lot fuller on Christmas Eve than they are this morning. And they'll be full again on Easter. And we have certain people in our lives, you know who they are, people who have been content in their life to have the quick fix, skin-deep encounter with Jesus. Some of us, it may be some of us here today, but it also may be the people who aren't with us here today. We hear about Jesus, just like this woman. We know a little something about Jesus. And when the going gets tough, when we exhaust all our other resources, we suddenly get on our knees, reach out our hands and seek Jesus, looking for a miracle. And some of us have gotten that miracle. We celebrate these kind of stories. These are the kind of stories that we don't talk about in whispers. We make a big deal about. Some of us have gotten that miracle. Some of us know about the person whose cancer has gone into remission. Praise the Lord. Some of us know about the person who suddenly is physically pain-free. Some of us know about the person who after months got a new job where there were no jobs to be had. Some of us know about the reconciliation of the relationship that everyone thought was over. Some of us get that miracle. Some of us have gotten it. And then we move on. Back out into the world. Backing away from Jesus. Back to doing things, living lives on our own terms. I'm not rebuking this woman right now. I'm not. I'm just noting in this story a pattern in our lives when it comes to Jesus. Notice this woman has already been healed physically. Her bleeding stopped And notice what Mark says. If you have it open, see it there. Immediately she believed at first. Mark says she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. But Jesus seeks her out because he has much more to offer her. Jesus wants to encounter this woman. Jesus wants to reach and touch her beyond the significant but superficial discomfort. He wants to go more than just skin deep. And so Mark tells us with fear and trembling, this woman tells Jesus the whole truth. I love that phrase, the whole truth. Now you might think that when Mark says the woman tells Jesus the whole truth, that she basically is just telling Jesus how she kind of snuck up behind him in the crowd and touched him. Maybe, but I think that when Mark says the whole truth, he's pointing at something even deeper. I think with fear and trembling, when Mark says this woman told Jesus the whole truth, she shared it all. I think this woman shared with Jesus what she's been through. I think this woman shared with Jesus the deeper pain, the lingering scars beyond the bleeding. And if any of you have ever suffered like this woman, if you ever know anyone who suffered like this woman, you'd understand what I'm talking about. I think that Jesus shared with this woman the lingering scars beyond the bleeding, the disruption, the corruption, the damage that's done to our identity, to our sense of worth, to our purpose. Beloved, not all of us get that immediate miracle. It's important we hear that in this story. Not all of us are healed physically. We celebrate those stories, but we also in whispers, not in church, but over coffee, share the stories of the times when the cancer hasn't gone into remission. In fact, it's spreading. Where the people that we love, they aren't pain-free at all. In fact, if you really want to know, the pain's getting worse. 
We all have people in our lives who still haven't found a job months later, but the rent's still due. The mortgage payment needs to be made. The bills are coming. We all have stories of the couple that didn't reconcile. They got a divorce. That relationship that's still strained, that's still broken, they're still not talking. And we all, maybe it's us today or maybe it's people close to us, we all, because of that lack of healing in the here and now, we begin to doubt our faith in Jesus. Maybe even some of us have walked away from Jesus altogether. It's important that we understand something in this story and in others like it. Beloved, physical healing is not a sign of our faithfulness. Physical healing is not a sign of our faithfulness. Physical healing is an affirmation of the reality of the kingdom, that God reigns, that God is in control. We should celebrate when we experience, when we see healing, but it's a sign of the deeper healing that Jesus is doing in all of our lives and in our world. It's a sign of the deeper healing that isn't as easily seen, that isn't as easily measured or understood This woman has already been healed physically. Her bleeding stopped. And again, I want to point this out to you. She believed at first, Mark puts it this way, she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. But notice what Jesus says to her once she comes forward and engages the whole truth. Look at what Jesus says to her. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She felt in her body that she was freed. But Jesus says, be freed from your suffering. Go in peace rather than slinking away anonymously in fear. Be freed from your greater suffering, not just your bodily pain. Experience the deeper healing of your soul. Realize and receive your identity, your true identity. Beloved, if we were in that coffee shop and I told you this story about this woman, and then I said, and you know what? She touched the hem of his robe, and all of a sudden the bleeding stopped, she was healed. We'd be celebrating. We'd be like, praise the Lord. We'd be singing songs. We'd get together in prayer and say, Jesus, you are so awesome, so good. But that's not the high point of this story. That's not where it ends. The high point of the story that we can miss, that we miss is that this woman that no one else will touch, this woman that no one else notices, this woman that everyone else stays away from, Jesus notices. Jesus seeks out. Jesus invites into his presence. Jesus calls her. Do you see it there? He calls her daughter. Daughter. The fear and trembling that Mark describes that this woman has is not expressing that she's afraid as much as she's in profound awe. It's the kind of awe that humbles you and yet exalts you. The kind of awe that humbles you and yet lifts you up. It brings you to your knees and yet it lifts your soul. It's the kind of awe when you realize you're receiving more than you expected, more than you could have anticipated or even hoped for. It's the awe of experiencing not just physical healing or relational healing. It's the awe of experiencing total and complete salvation. Beloved, physical healing is not a sign of our faithfulness. Physical healing is a sign of our Father's faithfulness. That one day we will all be completely healed. One day we will all be made whole, fully restored at the resurrection. We may not all experience physical or relational healing here and now, but in the meantime, we can all receive the gift of salvation. We can all experience the deeper healing, the greater work of being changed, of being set free by Jesus, of knowing our true identity 
of knowing that we are not an accident, that our life is not an accident, that we are here for a reason, that we exist for a purpose, that we have a destiny. This woman shifts from what we might call a superstitious point of view, just a a touch, a rub off of power, looking for bodily healing, and she experiences a long-term, ongoing, life-transforming relationship with Jesus. This woman is turned from a physically healthy woman into a spiritually healthy disciple. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Not touching me. Your faith has healed you, engaging me, pursuing me, following me. Jesus says, be freed from your suffering. Daughter, be freed from your suffering. Following Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus is what frees us, beloved. And it takes time. It's not a quick fix. It takes a lifetime. It's not just hearing about Jesus. It's about hearing from Jesus. It's not just experiencing a touch of Jesus. It's being in relationship with Jesus. That's where the freedom, that's where the healing comes. And that relationship pushes us beyond what we expect or believe. That relationship, that encounter with the person of Christ pushes us to hope against hope. And that brings us to the second encounter that Mark shares with us here. And if you were paying attention, it's actually the first encounter. The one that sandwiches the story of this woman. I deliberately skipped over it so that we can better appreciate the challenge as well as the invitation of this encounter with Jesus. Our focus shifts from the story of a woman suffering for 12 years to a little girl 12 years of age who is dying. Her desperate situation comes to Jesus' attention thanks to her father, Jairus. Jairus is a religious leader, a ruler in a synagogue, we're told. It's a position of authority and standing. This is a man of great devotion to God, morally respectable, a figure of wealth and social status. And yet, his engagement with Jesus will stand in strong contrast with all the other religious, religious leaders we've encountered so far. Notice, he doesn't send a servant, which would have been the custom to go and get Jesus, but he's actually waiting at the shore as when Jesus is coming. He waits at the shore himself and addresses Jesus directly. In fact, he bows down, we're told. He bows down before a Galilean carpenter. He's willing to do anything. And if you've ever been in this father's position, you know what this is like. He's willing to do anything. He's willing to beg. He's willing to risk insult and ridicule from his community. He's willing to give up his reputation. Because remember, Jesus' reputation right now is a little sketchy. Especially amongst the religious community. And yet what we are given by Mark is a picture of a powerful man who is used to being asked for favors by his constituency, becoming a humble father, pleading for a favor for his daughter. And from the way Jarius describes his situation, his daughter is as good as dead. And yet once again, someone perceives a glimmer of hope in Jesus. Jarius says, please, please, please come. Please come, put your hands on her and she will be healed and live. Please come, time is running out. Please come. And Jesus goes with him. Time is running out. Time is running out. And then right smack in the middle of time running out comes this delay. This delay of Jesus' prolonged encounter with the woman that we just spoke of leads to Jairus' worst fears becoming realized as word comes to him that his daughter 
has died. Jesus ignores the messenger, turns to Jairus and says, don't, don't be afraid, just believe. In other words, trust me. I really want us to understand what's happening here. I really want us to think this through. Jarius is a reputable and influential man. A man of standing in the community. And he comes himself to summon Jesus. He takes a risk. A risk, again, if I was sharing this story with you over coffee, we would marvel at the incredible risk and faith of this man to put everything aside to come to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus taking this risk in a step of faith and he clearly represents the urgency of his situation. And yet despite this tremendous demonstration of faith, this great risk which we would be marveling at, Jesus stops along the way. Mind you, he didn't need to. The woman was healed. She was backing away. He could have come back to her at another time, but he stops. Let me put this closer to home for you. He stops for a chronic condition, a healing that's already done. Meanwhile, there's an acute condition, a girl who's dying, who's lying untreated, unresolved. The little girl's condition is acute. The woman's condition is chronic. I'm not trying to make light of it, but she's been suffering for it for 12 years. She's healed and Jesus stops. He could come back and find her later. He stops. Let me put you in this situation. Let's say instead of being in the Bible, you and I take a trip down to Hogue Hospital right now and we're in the ER. We're in the ER and we see in one corner of the ER a girl who is dying on a gurney, her family around her. Please, someone, can someone please help her? Please, she's dying right now. And then there's another person who's suffering from a chronic condition. It's bad, but it's something they've been suffering with for years. And we watch as the doctor comes out and the doctor comes out en route to the girl who is dying and then all of a sudden makes a beeline and turns to the girl with the chronic condition and begins to treat her. We would be outraged. We would be livid. We would be, uh, some of us would be up on our feet saying, how dare you? Where did you go to medical school? What kind of doctor are you? How could you possibly be treating her right now? And imagine the fever pitch in that ER when all of a sudden the girl who's being neglected dies. We all would be incensed. There wouldn't be a person here. It's not even too close to call. We would all agree where the priority ought to be. We would all agree, even not having medical knowledge, who should be treated first. It's common sense. It's logical. It's reasonable. And imagine in that moment, that doctor, that Jesus turning to us and saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. It's really important you see this. The obstacle for Jarius is not rational doubt. The obstacle for Jarius is not rational doubt. Jarius had enough faith that he was not afraid to walk right up to Jesus, fall at his feet, risk his reputation, and plead for the daughter he loved. The obstacle for Jarius is not rational doubt. The obstacle for Jarius is faint-heartedness. When the word comes that J to Jarius that his child is dead, so seemingly does the end of all hope. You hear it in the question that those who come to give him the message ask, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother? Beloved, why bother is more than a question. Why bother is an orientation. Why bother? 
is an orientation of hopelessness. Jarius's situation is hopeless. Anyone can see that. We're sitting in that ER in Hogue and we all can say, it's done, it's over. It's the logical, rational, reasonable conclusion. And that's why by the time Jarius gets home, the funeral rites have already begun. The professional hired mourners are there, weeping, wailing, and beating their chests. That's why when Jesus says, whoa, 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 she's not dead, she's asleep, everyone laughs out loud. And it's not a funny laughter, it's that awkward, you know, awkward, oh my gosh, embarrassing, gasping kind of a laughter. They laugh out loud, and so would we. Because we all know a dead child when we see one. When the child was sick, Jesus could heal her. Everyone believed that. Notice that? When the child was sick, Jesus could heal her. Everyone believed that. But now as Jesus reaches out and touches a corpse, by the way, the most unclean of all actions, he turns to us and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. She's not dead. She's asleep. Jesus invites us not to fear, but to believe in a redefinition of our reality, a reality we live with every day. Jesus challenges us to have hope against hope, to embrace a strength, a confidence, a conviction born not of what we think is reasonable, not of what we understand to be logical, not of what we perceive to be possible. Jesus asks us to embrace a strength and a conviction, a confidence in him. I think we could have a tremendous debate about what's the biggest problem in the world, but I think I could resolve that debate by getting something that we all agree upon. The biggest problem that we all experience in the world today, doesn't matter what your faith perspective, geography, cultural background, the biggest problem we face in the world today, we can all agree upon, is death. Death is the greatest, the most insurmountable, universally insurmountable, the most impossible enemy we all face And yet Jesus turns to us and says to this most impossible, the greatest, universally insurmountable enemy, Jesus says, it's nothing but sleep to me. Death is a temporary obstacle. And like Jarius, the true answer that we make to that invitation and challenge from Jesus comes not when we are confident in our own beliefs. Some of us right now, when I say Jesus can raise the dead intellectually, we all believe that. That's why we're here, I would imagine. But the true answer to that invitation and challenge from Jesus, don't be afraid, just believe, is not when we are confident in our own beliefs. The true answer to that invitation and challenge, like Jarius, comes when our hearts begin to fail. When our minds are blown and we can only lean on our belief in Jesus. Not our own beliefs, but our belief in Jesus. And Mark tells us that it's quite the contrast to the sob fest that he describes, the weeping, the wailing, the hand-wringing going on around him. Can you imagine that memorial service? Jesus coming in and saying, you all need to go. You all need to leave. And quite the contrast to all the commotion, as Mark describes it, Jesus removes most everybody. And then in the contrast to the weeping and the wailing and the hand-wringing and chest-beating, Jesus speaks lovingly simple words in a calm and tender voice. Talitha kum. Talitha, little girl, 
as Mark translated it. You could also translate it little lamb, little one, or in our parlance, honey. Jesus uses a parent's pet name for their child as he addresses Jairus' daughter, honey. Get up. And contrary to what we might hear here, Jesus isn't saying, be risen from the dead. He says, get up. In essence, time to get up. He speaks to Jairus' daughter the same way that I'm going to talk to my son tomorrow when he has to get up to go to school. (laughs) Honey, it's time to get up. Honey, it's time to get up. Just a brief aside. Have you ever thought about this? Someday we will all be awakened by the sound of Jesus' voice. Honey, it's time to get up. Much to Jairus' surprise and ours, a dead girl rises and walks around the room. Suddenly the professional mourners are seemingly out of a job. Everyone stands amazed by what they see. Mark tells us they're astonished, but beloved, amazement is an emotional reaction. It's not the same thing as belief, a change of the will. We're all amazed by Jesus. But beloved, do we believe in the hope we have in Jesus Christ? That's the point. Do we believe in the hope we have in Jesus Christ? Or are our beliefs led, are they fed, are they driven by our fears? by what is likely to happen. We can all profess that we have hope in Jesus Christ, but day in, day out, every day, are we driven, are we living by our fears rather than our faith, our hope in Jesus Christ? Are we amazed by Jesus? Yes. Do we profess faith in what Jesus has done for us? We're very good at that. But are we lacking the will, the struggle to have faith in what Jesus can and will do in our lives? We can be amazed by what Jesus has done, but are we having the will, are we struggling with believing what Jesus can and will do in our lives? Both of these stories emphasize touch. You might have noticed that. Just a touch is all it takes, and that's true. But a touch, just a touch, is not what Jesus came for. The epiphany of Epiphany Sunday is that the birth of Jesus, the Word made flesh, God making contact with us is not the end. It's just the beginning of our journey. What we learn from the woman who encountered Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just want us to hear about him. Jesus wants us to hear from him. What we learn from this woman who encounters Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just want to cure the symptoms in our lives. He wants to heal the whole of our lives. Jesus looks for us. He notices us in the crowd, even when we're hiding. And some of you here today are very good at hiding, or so you think. And yet Jesus sees you. He notices you. And Jesus doesn't just want to make contact with him, with you. He doesn't just want us to make contact with him. And you need to hear this because some of you, and I know I've said this a lot, but it bears repeating. It's so awesome you're here today. And it's great you're going to be here next Sunday. And it's great that in a couple of minutes you're going to stand and you're going to receive communion. But Jesus wants more than just to make contact with you. He wants more than for you to put the bread in your hand and the cup in your mouth. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to bring his love into the whole truth of our lives. What we learn from the story of Jairus is that part of that kind of relationship with Jesus, this process we call discipleship, is it's about learning patience and trust. It's about being in relationship with Jesus means depending upon Jesus. Not just coming with our hands and our mouths open and making contact, but literally depending upon Jesus. 
One of the things that just smacks you in the eyes with this story, and it's not isolated here, but it doesn't make it any less comforting, is biblically, do you notice that God's sense of timing almost never coincides with our own? God's sense of timing almost never coincides with our own. What does he got to do to get his watch on our, synchronized with our timetable? Think about it. In these two stories, from the outside perspective, whether it's Jarius, whether it's his friends, whether it's the woman in the crowd, whether it's the disciples, all of them from the outside perspective, Jesus' timing looks bad. It looks bad. It feels wrong. It seems crazy. If we were telling this story outside of church and I were to tell you about this Jesus, we'd go, that makes no sense. We don't get it. And maybe, I hope I'm not alone in this, we are, so, at, at times, God's timing makes no sense to us. We actually say things out loud like, and you know this, you've said this, you've got to have people in your life who are saying, why isn't God coming through? Why isn't God coming through? I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, I serve, what more do I have to do? Why isn't God coming through? Why the delay? How much longer? How much longer am I supposed to wait? But waiting with the Lord is not, and I think this is part of our problem, waiting with the Lord is not God saying, you're going to wait for me until I'm good and ready. That's our parents when we're kids. We'll go when I'm good and ready. That's not our father. Waiting with God is not God saying, you know what, you're going to wait until I'm good and ready. Waiting with Jesus is wait for me because I love you. And I know what I'm doing. Wait for me because I love you and I know what I'm doing. But maybe I'm just me. I, most of us though in here are still not inclined to wait. I don't want to wait. I can't trust that. And please, tell me I'm not alone when I hear Jesus saying that to me that you get frustrated I'm not alone. I know I can't be alone. That I don't just get frustrated. I even get defiant. I actually say out loud in my prayers to Jesus. I actually say out loud, you know, Lord, don't you think I know what's best for my life? I mean, I'm living this life. I'm in it, man. You don't think I know what I need right now? You don't think I know what I need right now? Why won't you give it to me? And honestly, that disposition is getting more and more, more and more, prevalent. I fear, and I feel like, a, I'm sorry, I'd never do this as a parent, but I'm doing it. I fear for our kids because that natural disposition, it's not natural, it's unnatural to not live in dependency upon Jesus, to actually say to the living God, our creator, don't you think I know better than you what I need? That propensity is getting greater in our world because we live more and more in a world where we can manipulate anything to get what we want. We are raising children who don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait if we don't want to. We can create our own solutions. God love it. We actually encourage our children to live those kind of lives. You make your life whatever you want it to be. You create the life you want for yourself. Listen to that. We don't have to wait if we don't want to. We can create our own solutions. But beloved, please hear this. Just because we can create our own solutions doesn't mean they're, they're always the right ones. Or the best ones. Like the hemorrhaging woman, sometimes other cures make things worse. Not better. And yet, 
in my encounter with others as a pastor, in my own life, there are times, can you relate to this? There are times when decisions seem so final, things seem so done that there really seems little need to pray about them. Can I say that out loud as a pastor, that there are moments when things seem so final, things seem so done, game over, that there seems little need to pray about them. There have been times in my life when it seemed that all hope was lost logically, rationally, reasonably. The pain of my immediate circumstances, the loss of close relationships, when you go through that, sometimes you can feel as if there's nothing left that is good in life, that you are hopeless. However, what I've learned from being in relationship with Jesus what I am learning about living in dependency upon Jesus is that ultimately it's not about my faith. It's not about my faith. It's not about what I believe. It's not about what I think is possible, logical or reasonable. It's about Jesus's faith. It's about what Jesus believes. It's about what Jesus declares to be true, what Jesus declares to be real, what Jesus declares to be possible. And that means following Jesus means each day is new. And I must approach each day not in fear, but in expectancy. Living with hope against hope. Learning to trust that Jesus will always give me more than I expected, more than I asked for. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that I receive from Jesus always what I want or when I want it. Because here's the thing, beloved. Our name is Grace Lutheran Church, and I love that. I love that our name is Grace. But here's the thing. Grace is surprising. Grace is unscheduled. Otherwise, it's not Grace. Hear that again. If you can dictate it, it ain't grace. If you can schedule it, it ain't grace. Grace is not always getting what we want, but always getting what we need. Jarius came thinking he would have to trust Jesus just enough to get home, to have just enough hope to hold on that his daughter wouldn't die before he got there. And in root, Jarius is asked to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. In root, Jarius is asked to hope that death wasn't the last word in her life. Jarius came for a cure, not a resurrection. Jarius came for a cure, not a resurrection. The woman came for a touch, to rub the lamp, just enough hope to get through the crowds unnoticed, to reach out and touch Jesus' clothing and then get out of there unnoticed. But Jesus asks the woman to trust him with the whole truth. To hope in more than a physical cure, but the healing of a deeper spiritual disease. Beloved, at a time when hope means little more than wishful thinking, let us come with whatever faith we have. Let us come with whatever faith we have and experience the epiphany of the hope we have in and through Jesus Christ. A hope against hope, a strength, a confidence, a conviction born not of what we think is reasonable, not of what we understand to be logical, not even of what we perceive to be possible, but grounded in who Jesus reveals himself to be, grounded in what Jesus assures us he came to accomplish for all the world. What's your need? What's your crisis? 
What's your fear? Don't you hate this? Where's your Kairos card? What's your need? What's your crisis? What's your fear? Please don't tell me you're sitting here this morning and you don't have an answer to one of those three questions. What's your need? What's your crisis? What's your fear? Take it to Jesus. Don't just come forward in a couple of minutes and lift up your hands and take a piece of bread and take it through a drink of juice and go back and plan the rest of your day. Bring your life to Christ. Pursue him. And as you come with your hand open and your mouth open and your mind and your heart open, be overwhelmed with that awe that humbles you and yet lifts you up that in fact he is pursuing, he is looking for, he is inviting you to follow him. Hear him. Hear him. And trust him when he tells you, don't be afraid. Just believe. Listen. Listen and truly live in awe and dependence upon his invitation when he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Amen.